Hello, and welcome to Clock Spinning, the podcast of Magic's history as told card by card through Cube. I'm Austin, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Connor. How are you today, Connor? I'm pretty good. I've been busy, but we've got a a giant slab of ribeye steak in the fridge right now uh, that we got from my wife's cousin while we were traveling, and it it has just been a joy to be plowing through that ribeye. Dad told me that you ate the ribeye when you were, he was visiting, is there still more ribeye? How big is this ribeye? I mean, it it's pretty huge. It's I I would say it's about half the size of a average human torso. <laughs> Whoa! Just just to put it in, in, in human anatomical terms, as you usually do. I don't know for, if I like having it put in human anatomical for terms. measuring meat. Oh wow! Yeah, so we got a lot left. I, I should arrange a visit so that I can get in on this uh, this half torso of ribeye. Yeah, it's going fast. All right, I'll, I'll start looking now. Well, uh, today we're continuing our review of the Black Cards of Kamigawa. So we did the first 25 last episode, and now we're going to do another 25. Apologies, by the way, for the delay. We've both uh, been traveling, so it's been a, a little tough to record. Well, Connor, uh, I don't know. Anything else to say about steak before we uh, dive in and talk about the last 25 Black Cards of Champions? just that if you're you know if you're new to the show and you're kind of want to get a sense of what we're doing here and get up to speed with our rating system you can check out episode one where we talk about all the white cards in kamigawa and kind of give an overview of the block and introduction to what we're doing and we also give kind of an overview of our impab rating system which stands for instacut meh playable auto include and build around uh, and you'll be hearing probably all of those today mm-hmm. yeah and you can also uh Get on uh, the cube, Cobra, if you want, and see how we've rated cards so far, if you want to see how that rating system shows up in practice. All right, should we dive in? Let's do it. Okay, so first up in Black Part 2, we've got Myogen of Knight's Reach. 5 BBB for a 5-2 Legendary Spirit. Ah, uh, Yeah. The Myogen comes in with a divinity counter on it. If you played it from your hand, uh, it has indestructible as long as that divinity counter is on it. And you can remove the divinity counter from Myogen of Knight's Reach to cause each opponent to discard his or her hand. Boy, is that a lot of mana and not a lot of stats. <laughs> so, so much mana. This must be one of the poorest mana to stat ratios in the game of Magic the Gathering. I think so. Like... I haven't done a deep dive on that, but it just feels awful looking at this. Uh, just 5-2. I think the blue Myogen that we looked at was a 10-mana 3-3, three, three, which for me felt even worse. But this is this is pretty bad. Yeah, I think it's the second worst Myogen stat line. Um, so the others are a 4-6, 3 and 8-8. And I think maybe this is better than 3-3. Three, three, but other than that, I think this is incontestably the worst. I mean, this trades with... Well, literally with one. This trace with Bushi. Oh, not Bushi. What's uh, what's the one one for one with Bushido? Devoted Retainer. This trades with Devoted Retainer. Oh, that's just not acceptable. When you put it like that, well, at least at least the Myogen's indestructible for some amount of time. Yeah, take that, Devoted Retainer. Uh, yeah, and the other thing is, I think it's the worst effect. So, I mean, the other ones, just as a reminder, uh, the white one rasts the board. The blue one basically draws your deck. The red one is like an Armageddon, and the green one is like a one-sided Eureka for creatures. Like this, this effect isn't even. By the time you get to eight mana, how many cards does your opponent have? Two. Like it's, it's just this card doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The effect on this one is 
really disappointing, really bad for for eight mana considering the stat line that you get with it. This Myogen especially makes me wonder kind of how much the design of these cards was sort of constrained by the size of the text box. Yeah. The kind of text that they needed to put in to sort of make the Myogen work thematically the way that they wanted them to. So you've got three lines of text for the divinity counter, another two lines of text to explain the indestructible with the divinity counter. <laughs> and then that only leaves this tiny little gap at the bottom for the actual effect. Right. It's like a line and a half. Yeah. And, you know, in this case, it, it really makes you wonder, like, you know, there's a lot of cool effects that Black has uh, that are on brand that are, you know, a lot more effective and impactful than opponent discards their hand on turn eight or nine. Yeah, it's like the flip cards. You know, the flip. a lot of the flip cards have the same problem. There's just clearly not enough text to do something interesting. But now you mention it. It's like, what if this, for example, reanimated all the creatures in your graveyard or something? Like, you can imagine some cool, splashy effect that would really make this thing exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I will say, though, as weak as this is, the weakest Myogen, I think it's probably my number one Myogen art, maybe tied with Cleansing Fire, the white one. Uh, but this art is just so cool. Yeah, you want to uh, describe it? Good luck. Yeah, I'll try. Um, so it's by Kev Walker. Uh, it's you know it's got this kind of nice muted color palette, uh, and then the Myogen herself is really horrifying looking. <laughs> she has this long black flowing hair, and then just. Uh, all of these giant misformed hands coming out from under a cloak uh, and then floating hands all around her. And then she also has this headpiece sort of thing coming out of the top with these poles coming out of the side of that with more hair dangling off of those. And it's just this really sinister, you know, sinister looking spirit that would be terrifying to encounter, probably more terrifying than just discarding your hand. But yeah, I just think she looks really cool. And apparently someone agreed with that assessment so much that they made a Lego version of her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to click on this link live now and give everyone a reaction to it. Oh, wow. That is so cool. Wow. Know, it's really right? well executed. That's amazing. Yeah. Like a lot of thought went into this. Uh, it's great because it's, uh, we'll link it from the show notes. So click on the link, but it's great because it's really small. It's not like some kind of big, you know, foot tall figure or something. It looks like it's maybe like a three or four inch figure. So it's really, really cleverly considered and put together. It really maximizes it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so I, I really appreciate that someone else felt strongly enough about the design of this card to Legofy her. Uh, okay, so we, we, I guess, started with implying strongly about playability here, but where do you land on playability for this thing? Uh, she's got to be an Instacut. Yeah, I think so too. I just can't, I just can't imagine. I, I was going to say I can't imagine this ever being cast, but I feel like the more playtest games we do, the more we realize, you know what? Actually, eight drops do get cast in this format. <laughs> Yeah, uh, much more than we expected. But honestly, as an eight or nine, I'd much rather have, say, Kuro Pitlord than this thing. I just don't think this card is acceptable on raid or effect at eight mana. Just not enough impact. We'll cut it with a twinge of regret. Hmm. Let's go to Nazumi Bone Reader. Nazumi Bone Reader is one and a B for a one one rat shaman. B, sacrifice a creature, colon, target player discards a card. Play this ability only anytime you could play a sorcery. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of this card. The graveyard synergies are there sort of in this set. Like soul shift is an important theme. And I don't think this effect is quite good enough, particularly on a two mana one one that just other than the effect doesn't do literally anything. Like I just, eh, I just can't get excited about this. There are better discard 
effects in the set. There's better graveyard outlets in the set. I just, I don't want to include it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to step up to the bone readers defense. I, I, I kind of like the effect. I guess I'm more positive about it than you are. Uh, I'm just kind of thinking this is a way of turning, kind of turning your chump blockers into pretty big annoyance for your opponent at not that much of a cost. <clears throat> can I, can I reread the card for you? Yeah. Play this ability only anytime you could play a sorcery. Oh, <laughs> I know. I keeps getting me too. <laughs> I, we, we, we need to like go through and highlight that text. Yeah. We need a script that highlights that. This is like the fourth time, fourth time we bumped up into the, Oh man. But I had the same reaction of like the first time I read is like, okay, okay. Plus, especially with damage on the stack, you know, as we keep saying, like that would be really cool. You put the damage on the stack, sack it. It's a two for one, but this uh, sorcery clause keeps biting us. Yeah, it's like a it's like a footnote that you never bother looking at, and then you realize it's actually super important. Well, it's easy to get confused because, for example, in just a couple cards, we're going to talk about Nazumi Short Fang, which is also an activated discard effect, but that one does not have this restriction on it. So it's like it's kind of hard to understand, or it's hard to keep track of. Like, okay, some there's there's all these activated discard effects, and some do, and some don't require the sorcery thing. Yeah. So with that out of the way, like where do where do you land on Nazumi Bone Reader? I think we can. De- I I was gonna say Meh, uh, but I definitely think we can cut it now. Yeah, I'm I'm also at Instacut. I will say I like the flavor text here. I'll just read it. Four generations ago, old Split Tail stole a bundle of scrolls from the Minamo School. Soon after, the first Nazumi shamans were born. So I really like that because it tells a story like in two sentences. It tells you a lot about the history of the Nazumi. Like, oh, these are relatively new and they kind of came about in this sort of illicit or strange way. And it, it implies that, you know, Minamo's school is powerful, like so powerful stealing a few scrolls could create a whole school of magic. Like there's, there's it does a lot of storytelling in a couple sentences in, a, in an elegant way. So playable flavor text, Instacut card. Yeah, I'd say flavor text is a solid playable, but yeah, I think the card's an Instacut all right. All right. Cool. Let's get him out. So we've got another rat coming up here. Nazumi Cutthroat. 1B for a 2-1 rat warrior with fear. And Nazumi Cutthroat can't block. I think we both kind of share some concerns about this little guy. Getting in for two damage that's going to be unblockable in a lot of circumstances every turn, starting on turn two, seems like a pretty big deal. This is a tough card to answer. Well, it's, it has the fear problem, right? If it's either tough to answer or far too easy to answer. So I'll just lay that aside so I don't have to complain about that with every card with fear uh, in this set. You know, it, most of the time it's going to be unblockable and shipping in for two every turn like is a minimum or a maximum of a 10 turn clock. And that's a pretty real clock in this format. This format really routinely goes like turn eight, turn nine, turn 12, turn 14. And Nazumi Cutthroat helps prevent that, which is I think somewhat good from a cube design perspective. You know, you want things that help close out games and create a clock. And create a sense of urgency, but I, I think we'll have to watch how many of these get in, just because it it could definitely uh, lead to some annoying, super annoying, uh, uninteractive situations. Yeah, I rated him as a playable because uh, he definitely is, I think, on power level in this kind of limited format. I'm not sure on how many copies we want. I I said two, but I don't have a great reason for it. Yeah, I've I've bounced between two or three as well. I feel like three. Felt right just because it's pretty staple, but I, I could totally see dialing that up or down. He's definitely a premier thing that's worth prioritizing a pick, or prioritizing in your picks. Right. Maybe we do start with three then, just so he pops up enough that we can 
actually see what place he ends up getting in the cube. The one thing is that that can't block downside, I feel is very real. You know, I feel like just in all my years of playing magic, every time I play a card that says can't block, I think, well, that's barely a downside. And then you, you end up in these board states where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't, if I could block with this, my whole game would turn around. You know, I feel like that's actually a, a very real downside outside of a like super, super aggressive deck. But this, this block is not set up to reliably turn out really, really aggressive decks and limited. And so I think like in the context of this block, I think that's actually a very real downside. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Maybe that makes him more balanced or more reasonable than we're worried about. And I, I think especially once we get to red in this block, which we will, mm-hmm. uh, our next color coming up, uh, the red cards are abominable. And there is there is no <laughs> aggro. It's hard to understand them in terms of power level. It's rough. They are so bad and so weak. That, like there just is no real aggro archetype. Like black and red are the colors that are going to bring that traditionally. Uh, maybe a bit of green. Red is just bringing nothing. Well, here I think I think it's black white in Kamigawa, right? Like oh, their white has some genuinely good one, two, and three drops. You know, as as we found in all of our playtest games, Kitsune Blade Master, for example, Ugh. just is this huge groan test. <laughs> you just groan. It's this huge groan test every time it hits the table. Yeah, you know, now that you bring the Blade Master into the discussion, I feel like I'm going to groan a lot less about Nazumi Cutthroat than the Blade Master. Oh, we got to track that. I'm, we should start a little groan tracker spreadsheet right. and see which draws more uh, dismay. Let's get a groan count going. All right. But for now, we're on playable three. Uh, yeah, I think so. All right. Let's go to our first black flip card. Nazumi Grave Robber. One and a B for a 2-1 rat rogue with one and a B. Exile target card in an opponent's graveyard. If no cards are in that graveyard, flip it. And then the backside is Night Eyes the Desecrator. 4-2 Rat Wizard, 4 and a B. Put target creature card in a graveyard into play under your control. So, whew, like a lot of flip cards, that's a lot. But it's a 2-mana 2-1 that exiles things. And when it does, it flips into a 4-2 that can reanimate for 5. I'm not totally sure about power level here. I think the base power level is pretty good because like a 2-mana 2-1 is decent on its own but just on fun factor i feel like i almost don't have to get to power level because the fun factor here is so real right it's like a two mana two one that starts a little mini game and then flips into a pretty solid threat with a really fun disruptive uh effect that just you know tickles your brain like this card's just so fun yeah i really dig this this guy and not just because night eyes the desecrator has synergy with iname death aspect <laughs> and a great um, name and a great name that is one of the coolest names uh, in this set, I think. I like that this card has a flip effect that's actually reasonable to pull off, especially in limited. You know, it's probably not going to take you that long to empty either your or your opponent's graveyard, depending on who has the better creatures that you want to pull out. It doesn't require any other cards to set up, unlike Bushi Tenderfoot or Student of Elements, who are going to need at least some kind of help to get there. And it comes as like a two mana, two one, which is not not bad here. <laughs> And I actually think the ability is, I don't know if it would quite make it on that ability, but I think the ability is pretty decent. I mean, so it it, it obviously is no scavenging goose, right? Like it doesn't create any value when you exile these things, but being able to exile from your opponent's graveyard is pretty decent. Like if your opponent is doing a lot of soul shifting, you know, when mm-hmm. the soul shift trigger goes on the stack, they have to target a thing and then you could just exile it in response. Like this really shuts down the soul shift deck pretty hard. Yeah, as you point out, it doesn't have the play this only 
anytime you can play a sorcery. No room in the text box. No, they ran out. Um, yeah, I, I think this card's uh, just really good. I also think the art here is pretty good. Like a lot of the um, flip cards, we haven't been super thrilled with the art, but I think the artist Jim Nelson here did a good job kind of telling a story, conveying some mood and scenery, making both the characters really distinct. Like in this little postage stamp, I think he put out a really solid uh, piece here that that illustrates two characters pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I also really enjoy how uh, this Nazumi grave robber has graduated to just full-on desecration. The, the graduation's funny, though, isn't it? Because there's this funny thing in which the design almost seems like it would imply that, like, he's going to reanimate the cards that he exiled. Like, he's robbing the graves, but really he's robbing himself because he can't go reanimate the things that he's exiled. Kind of funny from a design and storytelling standpoint that he's actually getting worse. He's He'll have less material to rob from. <laughs> Um, once he flips. <laughs> Good point. Maybe, you know, he's he's just practicing. With the grave robbing, he's just practicing. Oh, I like this a bunch this of story. other graves. Yeah. And then he comes back. He's like, I, got, I know I got all these great dead bodies in my swamp. So I'm going to come back home after I've done all this grave robbing. And then we'll just desecrate the place. Okay, yeah. I like your story. I like your storytelling there. That's great. This is the power of flip cards. They just, they make you think. They tell a story. And as you pointed out, this isn't uncommon. Like, wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It doesn't matter for our cube, but it's just sort of hard to believe in the context of Kamigawa. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of the flip cards, at least in Champions, each color has a rare flip card and an uncommon. And a lot of them are kind of reversed. Their rarities are reversed from what you would expect. Like in white, the uncommon flip card is Bushi Tenderfoot. And then the rare one is that kitsune that lets you move auras around basically yeah who we hate yeah where do you rate this thing um i i consider this guy an auto include yeah i totally agree i just can't imagine like why would you not include it it's fun it's flashy the power level is there but not overpowered like this thing's just super cool yeah just one of i think one of i feel like a lot of the i feel like the base for most legends should be a 1x just for flavor reasons if nothing else and i also think i don't know this thing should be kind of a little prize that you snag and know you're not going to see it again yeah i like that okay next up another nizumi surprise it's nizumi ronin 2b for a 3-1 rat samurai twist with bushido one so i don't have a ton to say about this card because there's not a ton on it three mana for three damage is good in champions yeah. uh he trades up with a lot of creatures having bushido he can trade with both of the kodamas that we're going to see in green he trades with uyo and blue maloku uh if, mm -hmm. if for some reason maloku is blocking nizumi ronin Cho yeah chooses to block it uh, sure <laughs> because <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's a more tenuous example you know i going. i didn't i haven't play tested these i'm just looking just looking <laughs> at power and toughness he kills both iname aspects mm -hmm. so so yeah there's all of that i like this guy a lot too i've got a i've got kind of a soft spot for him it's one of those cards that i opened all these years ago and i don't know that i've ever played with it really but i just i like it like it's a Good kind of solid role player. I really like the art here. There's a number of Scott M. Fisher pieces where he does this sort of abstract circle background thing. Uh, like he, his Dark Confidant has it. Death of a Thousand Stings, Disrupting Shoal, Graceful Adept, uh, one of Connor's favorite arts from the set. Uh, and it's just, honestly, every time it works for me, I just look at it and I go, yeah, that's cool. I just, it's really cool. And then, yeah, as you're saying, I think the stat line is 
totally solid here. I don't think this is an amazing card, but I think it's a, a totally reasonable one. Yeah. How many of these? Well, so one thing I worry about a little bit with the Ronin is black is like a, a is the soul shift color. It's the spirit, one of the most spirit centric colors. And I do worry about some of these black non-spirits competing with the spirits for space. So I think that I don't know that that changes my answer on quantity, but it's just something I'm kind of going to be keeping an eye on as we shape the cube further. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I felt like this is a playable to me, like somewhere between playable and mad, but I think it's solid enough. I just can't imagine some number of these not being included. And as a stab in the dark, I said, I don't know, three. Yeah, I I landed in the same place, playable three. Whoa. Well, if we're that aligned, let's just let's just commit to it. There you go. If if you're new to the show, or actually I'm not even sure if we've mentioned this, but we when we're rating <laughs> these cards, we do it separately so we hide the part of the spreadsheet that shows the other person's ratings as we're going through. Yeah, we want to avoid groupthink. We we feel that the analysis of these cards is is sort of sacred trust that we've been given and we want to do it with the highest possible integrity. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does mean that we waste a lot of time in our comments duplicating what the other person wrote because we don't know someone else has done the exact same research. And and possibly uh, we may not always read the other person's comments every time before we start the show. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going in blind a lot of the time. Yeah, but it's working. Yeah, I think so. If you agree it's working, uh, listener, let us know, clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com. And if you think it's not working, listener, let us know, clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, I guess we can end the meta segment here. <laughs> Do you want to keep moving? Yeah, let's uh, let's let's go to the next rat. I almost feel like I need some bumper music. All right, next rat, Nazumi Short Fang, another flip card. So buckle up. One and a B for a one-one rat rogue. One and a B tap target opponent discards a card. Then if that player has no cards in hand, flip it. It flips into Stab Whisker the Odious, Rat Shaman three three. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep. That player loses one life for each card fewer than three in their hand. Okay, so again, that's a lot. It's a two mana one one that two in a tap, discard it, and then when they're empty handed, flips into a three three that is also the rack. Staple to a three three. All right, this this thing's the real deal. I'll also note black like objectively just has the best flip cards. Most of the other colors, it's like one of them is okay and the other one is like a turd. And then <laughs> and then in black, it's like, wow, these are both just solid two mana plays that flip into really solid like just aggressive game ending cards like how, how did black get so lucky connor uh, and, and it's not just the flip cards either that's true yeah black in the set is i really like it like the cards are fun they're all kind of classic black effects they play together nicely it's just a it's a fun color to be in and you get to do all the soul shifty shenanigans and who doesn't like that mm-hmm. this card has come up a couple times in playtesting. i think it's risen in our estimations i think originally i had this at a playable and i realized this is just an auto include like a because it's cool but b because Wow, is that effect real? Like I read it the first time and I was like, that's pretty expensive. That's a lot of mana to have to sink into it. But the reality is once you've activated it two or three times, like you are just up so much on cards. Your opponent is so annoyed with you. Uh, The funny thing about it is I would say in a lot of ways when I've been playing with it, I actually wished it wouldn't flip because I don't really feel like once you've done the empty handed thing that you need a 3-3 with the rack stapled to it to win the game. Like you're already winning at that point. And I feel like, we had a couple of playtest games where I stripped your hand. I was totally dominant. And then when that hand stripping ability went away, you clawed your way back into the game. Yeah, a little bit. But I it definitely put me in a really awkward position of, you know, feeling the heat from this continuous discard effect and being really worried about him flipping, both because a 3-3 is just pretty 
solid and you know is likely to be bigger than a lot of what you're playing anyway. But having that extra loss of life on top of it was, or at least felt like a real problem, which I kind of like. You know, it's it's creating this this interesting dynamic when you're on the receiving end of it, a frustrating dynamic, but an interesting one where you need to be thinking about is it worth more to me to try to hold on to just some chaff card that I can discard to try to keep the number of cards in my hand at the right level? Should I play this out? If I do, then Nizumi Shortfang is going to flip, and then I'm going to suffer from Stab Whisker. Like, it makes you think a lot. And it's an interesting card and also, like, actually a pretty good one. Yeah, it's interesting to contrast it with the cutthroat of, like, this This does give your opponent agency, as you said. Like, they can just choose to keep some cards in hand. They can try to empty their hand really quick and just go, you know what, I'm ready to go race. Or, like, it gives your opponent some interesting decisions, and I, I like that. Yeah. It's a mini game for both you and your opponent. Mm-hmm. I also, what do you think of the art here? So the art here is, it's like the flip card thing where there's two figures. It's sort of unusual in that it's the background is just a wash. It's almost like an alpha thing of just like it's a blue and purple in the background. It's sort of indeterminate. And normally I don't like that, but I think on the flip cards, it actually works pretty well because the the art is so busy on these flip cards. I think it helps to have a really simple background. Yeah, I really like that, how it's just this color wash in the back and then they're actually sort of both standing on nondescript kind of rock in both the flipped and unflipped form. And I feel like that lets you just really focus on the characters in this tiny little piece of art. Like they're both in really kind of interesting dynamic poses. You get the sense of like this Nizumi short fang just kind of looks like an almost naked rat man. (laughs) And then he Uh flips it to stab whisker and, you know, gets all this cool sort of swamp armor going on. And, you know, you get the sense that it's, this character has sort of evolved into stab whisker and i feel like it's you know it's a lot cleaner as a piece of art there was the blue card i think it was student of elements where the divider you hated that. i, hated I like that. that guy the goofy the goofy billowy clothes feather art guy yeah the the like flipped version of student of elements i can't remember his name but he's you know in these big billowy clothes and then the dividing line between the two halves of the art is just this big wing like a big bird wing just yeah, like chopping it. through the middle of the the art and i just like what why is this here yeah but i i agree it is uh it takes a certain kind of bravery to say you know i am gonna do uh, a really simple background because i feel like that's not what magic has done for most of its history you know that's associated with i think with lazy art in a lot of people's minds but i think it's the right decision for this art yeah i'll also say obviously all of the um nizumi invite you know thinking of master splinter from you know teenage mutant ninja turtles because they're rat people (laughs) But I, I'm pretty sure that Stab Whisker the Odious is like Master Splinter. Like I'm looking at the flip <laughs> thing here and he's, he's the resemblance is strong. I got to pull up a picture here. You use the word evolved. And I, I like that too. Like a lot of these, I, I don't know that there's a problem with the other ones, but in this one, he's clearly aged as he's flipped. It, it really kind of has a feeling of the passage of time and it tells a story. It's just a, just a nice piece. Yeah. Good job, uh, Darren. Good work. How do we rate this? Yeah, I have it as a 1x auto include because... I can't imagine cutting it. I really can't imagine running multiple of it. Like that just seems gross. So I don't know. One of them seems fine to me. Yeah, I think so. All right. We've made it through the wave of rats for now. Though our next card also features rats in the art. This is Night Dealings. 2BB for an enchantment. Whenever a source you control deals damage to another player, put that many theft counters on Night Dealings. And then you can pay 2BB to remove X theft counters from Night Dealings and search your library for a non-land card with converted mana cost X, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. So to sum 
that big mouthful up, you get theft counters on night dealings for dealing damage to your opponent, and then you can pay some mana, remove those theft counters, and search your library for any card except land. I I like this card a lot. I don't think it's good, but there's a lot of things I like about it. The flavor feels like a slam dunk to me. Okay, actually, before you can eva- we evaluate it, can you explain that? Because I am really puzzled by the flavor here. Okay. What is the flavor? The, the flavor that I'm getting, at least. I, I guess I should describe what's in the art. It doesn't help that much, but... <laughs> yeah, good, good luck. Okay, so you've got a couple of Nizumi who are... I mean, it looks like they would be stealing this jade statuette, but it, the card is called Night Dealings, so I guess they're actually trading with each other. But let's ignore that for now. Let's pretend that Night Dealings is just about stealing stuff. The flavor, as I see it, is... Your your rats are getting in there. Your Nazumi cutthroats are getting in there and dealing damage to your mm-hmm. opponent, right? And they're stealing okay. stuff like this jade statue. And then they're going out and they're pawning that jade statue. Oh, they're dealing it on the black. Oh, yeah. now I like the flavor a lot. That's very fun. They're taking it yeah. to a fence. They're fencing you're it. They're spending the proceeds. Yes, sure. And you're you know you're selling your booty and getting cards. Okay, that's a slam dunk. All right, thank you. Thank you for explaining that to me. I like this card. Much more already. Thank you for acknowledging the slam dunk. Power-wise, I don't know if it's really there. This feels mostly like a sort of win more card. Like if you're in a position that you can pay, you know, spend four mana on this and then also spend four mana for the effect and also have enough theft counters on night dealings to make it worth it, then you're probably, the game's probably over already. (laughs) It's asking you to do so much work. Yeah. So I don't know if it actually belongs in, but... I just I I like the design of this card. It feels cool. It feels like it should be fun to play with. I feel like to be honest, I just need to play test this card. Like I just can't I can't tell reading it. So it's a repeatable tutor and that's obviously strong. Like that's a just an objectively strong thing to do, but it asks you to jump through a lot of hoops as you're saying and it asks you to put in 8 mana before you get the first card back out. Mm-hmm. And that's uh it's just asking quite a lot of you. And, you know, if you imagine, like, this is a four-mana play. Like, let's say your opponent's at 12, you know, and you've already hit them because you, you're you supposed to be kneeling damage. So let's say your opponent's at 12. You deal another five, let's say, the turn this comes down. And, like, yeah, you can go tutor, but I feel like at that point you're already kind of winning the game. Like, I feel like maybe if this card was cheap, like, cost, like, one single black mana... But then like six to activate, that would be interesting. Because the problem is this doesn't get to see or take advantage of whatever damage you dealt in the early game. Right. Yeah, I I agree that it seems really difficult to evaluate without actually trying it. I feel like some games might end up being grindy enough that this actually does have some place to help you, you know, look for a finisher or even, you know, just look for something like Nizumi Cutthroat to be able to get some damage in. But I also kind of want to have it in because I feel like we're just, we're not seeing that many interesting enchantments yet. You know, yeah. in white and blue, we saw two rare four-cost enchantments that were basically irrelevant. Vassal's Duty and Swirl of the Mists was the blue one. Uh, they both sort of do nothing. And this seems like it could do something. And I just want some enchantment in here that is doing something and could be interesting or fun to play with. Yeah, I'm, I find that persuasive. I kind of feel like we should, um, in some of our... Uh, next round of playtesting, I almost feel like we should cheat a little bit with some of these hard to evaluate cards and not draft them, but just 
like give them to ourselves as a stipulation at the start. Like, okay, one of you is going to get night dealings in your pool at the start. Go draft and see how it feels to try to play a deck around it. You know, like, because I feel like otherwise it could take a really long time to try to understand if this card does anything. But I think if we play with it, even a handful of times, it's going to be obvious, oh, this is way better than we thought, or this just never does anything. Hmm. Yeah, I like that idea. Just stipulate to night dealings. Yeah. Uh, One other thing I'll say that just surprised me about this card is this sees a little bit of EDH play. It's in 600 decks on EDH rec, but I'm I'm kind of surprised this isn't more. I don't think it's particularly powerful, but it just seems like a fun, unique kind of toolbox card. You know, it lets you tutor repeatedly, which is a powerful thing in a singleton format. Like, I feel like people should be throwing more of these into commander decks. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. So where do you land on this? Like, what rating? Um... I feel like we call this a meh just because there's so much, we have so much uncertainty for now about whether it has any real value. Um, and I think just one of them. I agree on one. What about calling it a build around? It's not like a true build around, but I think it shares the build around DNA of, you know, being a card that really requires other things around it to make it work and some specific deck design and drafting. Okay. Yeah. I kind of like that. I feel like we haven't seen that much build around yet so yeah let's do that let's do it all right let's talk about one of my favorite names in the set knight of souls betrayal so knight of souls betrayal is 2bb for a legendary enchantment all creatures get minus one minus one okay i love this card uh i think it's very very cool it reminds me of uh, that seven mana thing in War in the Spark that gives all your things plus one, plus one, and all theirs minus one, minus one. Ethereal Absolution, I think it is. And that card is dynamite uh, and game ending and backbreaking. I don't think this is quite as good. Like the plus one, plus one was a very real part of that card's upside and ability to just absolutely break symmetry and wreck your opponent's day. But I think minus one, minus one, have you read out for our listeners. But I think it's not just the things that outright kills. I think it's also... Just the fact that all of your opponent's creatures get worse and combat gets a lot more painful. Oh, and all of yours. Oh, 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 oh. I think I forgot for much of my discussion that this affects all creatures. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. So I really struggle to see the deck where you would want this precisely because it affects all creatures, including your own. So in black... That's a great note, Connor. I want to note that I did notice that when I was rating it and I forgot, <laughs> forgot as I was reading it today. It, this card does not say play this ability only time only anytime you could play a sorcery though so we didn't miss that but so out of 30 out of 336 creatures in the block 97 have just one toughness so this just outright kills all of those or basically keeps them from being played the problem is plenty of blacks creatures have one toughness and quite a few of them are relatively expensive you know x power one toughness creatures going all the way up to the six mana four one kami of lunacy yeah i think we just talked about like five one toughness black creatures and the next card is also a one toughness black four. there you go so it's you know i just i'm struggling to see the deck where you actually want this card in if you're sort of playing the typical black deck that is having you know quite a few rats in there and some kind of spirit craft stuff going on i don't think you want this card that makes me sad because I like the way this seems to suggest, oh, go play like a creatureless control deck or a really interesting deck with very few creatures. There is a deck like that in the block, right? It's the Dampen Thought deck. But the problem is 
that deck really doesn't have much other reason to be in black and this costs two bb and so i just don't know i don't know that there's a black based deck as you're saying that's okay with just you know really sacrificing its ability to play creatures and and yeah i just don't see yeah. it yeah that's a good point about the the dampened thought deck being you know at least a theoretical possibility but this would be a pretty weird splash for that deck to make I do think it's cool that it's a legendary enchantment. That's just a cool type line. I thought the shrines were the only legendary enchantments in the set, but I guess we get one more. Yeah, I thought so too. I was kind of surprised to see this one just sort of standalone legendary enchantment, which makes it really cool because, you know, it's suggesting that this Night of Souls betrayal is the sort of historical event that's playing out on the battlefield. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't feel like they had to make it a um, like a cycle or something. I feel like Wizards was kind of enthralled to the idea of a cycle at this point mm-hmm. in its history. My suspicion is the reason it's legendary is that the power level or obnoxiousness, like if you had two or three of these, like in a constructed deck, like if you cast two or three of these, like that's just unbelievably cruel and annoying. And I suspect they just wanted to avoid uh, anyone doing yeah. that. There are actually, you know, quite a few situations where I think it could also just be cruel and annoying to have one of these in Kamigawa Limited, not mm-hmm. just because of the creatures that Black has, but if you look uh, at kind of the white weenie deck, which relies on Bushido, yeah. if you look at the Aki in red, the poor tiny Aki who are already so weak, <laughs> this just kills almost <laughs> all of them. A oh. uh, good number of the Tommy only have one toughness. So this is just, you know, shutting out whole categories of creatures from the game. Now that you've listed that, there's another nice flavor win in that all the things you listed are mortals. So this is like the spirit's big play, and it it mostly destroys mortal creatures, which is kind of a nice flavor win. Oh, I like that. I didn't even think of that. I, I will say on that note, I, I love the name. I feel like Knight of Souls Betrayal, like if my soul is turning against me, my very essence, if that's only means minus one, minus one, I feel like that's not too bad. Like. It could be a lot worse. <laughs> it could be a lot more painful than that. Yeah. Uh, one other note before we get to playability. I, I, this sees almost no commander play, but it does see a little bit of marginal play with a very marginal commander, Vati Ildal. So Vati Ildal is a creature with an activated ability that gives target creatures or makes target creatures power or toughness one until end of turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I think that's really cute. I, I like that. Wow. What? What is that commander from? Oh, I don't know. Let's go find out. Vati Eldal. Originally printed in Tempest oh. and then reprinted in Time Shifted, the Time Shifted sheet in Time Spiral. Wow. Four mana, three, three in Golgari. Not a good card, but kind of a fun card. Yeah. If you're uh, if you're running a Vati Eldal commander deck, let us know. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, okay, so on playability, so I had this at a meh and a 1x. I think, honestly, similar to your night dealings, I was just like, oh, wow, a cool enchantment. Like, my judgment is suspended. Um, but I, I'm starting to think I'm maybe too optimistic there. I mean, I'd be willing to try it. I I had it as an insta-cut, but there is something appealing about this legendary enchantment with such a cool name. I kind of do want to try it. All right, let's sneak one of a minute meh and see if uh, we manage to make anything of it at some All point. Right. Okay, next up, speaking of 1-1s, we've got Numai Outcast, 3B for a 1-1 Human Samurai with Bushido 2, and you can pay B and 5 life to regenerate Numai Outcast. I mean, this is just Garbo, right? Am I, like, am I crazy to think that 
No, it's just Garbo. I've been thinking it. Too. I actually wrote her facial expression says it all. She's like oh. grimacing and just looks, looks like she's in terrible pain. It really does. When at Bushido's, it becomes a four mana three three, which is a hill giant, which is like the byword for mediocrity, and like a conditional hill giant that lets me pay five life for something that black can normally do, like for just a black mana. That's a good like, point. I, I didn't even think of that. Ugh. I mean, that's a quarter of your life total. And I feel like, th- so this isn't an attacker, right? Because your opponent's just going to be like, uh, okay, I'll let the 1-1 one, one through. <laughs> there's, no, there's no decision to make for your opponent there. So it's basically a blocker, but I feel like in a deck that wants a creature that helps stall out in the four drop slot, you can't afford to pay five life because you're you're trying to, you know, hold out against your faster opponent. Yeah, uh, you know, I could I could maybe see that regenerating ability being worth it if this could also be anything close to an offensive threat but she's just purely a blocker and like a really expensive painful one to have around like how many times are you really going to block something bigger pay five life and you're just sort of putting off the inevitable if you don't have a bigger answer you know if your opponent is swinging in with uh four four and you're just blocking with the outcast and paying five life to keep her alive you're not actually changing the board state at all you're just kind of killing yourself in a different way. Yeah, she was maybe like a four mana three one or something. Like I could see it being a more interesting card and more of a contender. But yeah, that stat line, like this thing's terrible. I'm really glad this isn't uncommon because I opened a lot of Kamigawa back in the day, but I don't think I have many of these. And I think that's only because it's uncommon. Otherwise, I think I'd have like 300 of them in a box somewhere. This is exactly the kind of card that you'd be getting 300 of. Yeah, instead of Sensei's Divining yeah. Top no. or something like you. Oh, which is also an uncommon. Yeah, which is also, and yet the most expensive card in the yeah. set. That hurts. This seems like an easy instacut to me. I cannot, I just, I mean, it's one of those cards of like, yeah, you could make an argument. It might have some effect or occasionally do a thing, but like why? There's just, I don't know. Let's look at our last two cards. You know, if we think about four drops, would you rather open and think about Night Dealings, Night of Souls Betrayal, or New My Outcast? Like easy call. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, let's cut her. All right, let's cut it. Let's talk about Oni Possession. Two and a B for an enchantment aura, enchant creature. At the beginning of your upkeep, sack a creature. Enchanted creature gets plus three, plus three, and has trample, and is a demon spirit. I, I'm worried I'm just like enchanted with auras, uh, but I, I'm i liking this card. I feel like, Sure, it guarantees like a two for one, maybe a three for one or a four for one or a five for one, but like plus three, plus three and trample is a big game. Like that is a kind of game finishing level of bonus. And I feel like there's a, um, there's something to talk about there. Yeah. I think especially with the trample, I'm honestly surprised that this gives trample that feels like too much for this set. (laughs) You know, that, that is going to end some games. And like the, the Oni that we talked about last episode, Gut Wrencher Oni and Pain Racker Oni. You know, the fact that those are so big and just have the ability to get damage through over or around your opponent's creatures, I think can have a really big impact. And Oni Possession is just kind of letting you turn any creature into one of those, albeit with a hefty downside. Yeah, it's kind of funny and awkward. I feel like this thing actually wants to be in a spirit deck more than a mortals deck. Like if you think about the Zubera, this is just really good with the Zubera. Like something like Dripping Tongue Zubera that makes a 1-1 when it dies. Like this thing... I feel like plays really, really nicely with uh, a lot of the spirits, but especially the Zubera. I got to say, though, the art on this really bothers me. Really? Why? You, you know, it's, uh-huh. it's not the grossness that I have a problem with. You know that. 
Mm-hmm. No, no, you're you're all in. For I'm all process. in for that. I'm all in for oni possession. But the idea here is that this oni has possessed a creature, and it's killing off your other creatures, right? Presumably ending with the creature that it possessed. So it's you know taken over this body and it's just kind of killing everything around it. But if you look at this art, it makes it look like the oni is just kind of erupting from a creature that's in the process of dying. Which doesn't really fit mm. the flavor of the card. You know, maybe if you were sacrificing a creature and then you're getting a separate Oni token, then that would kind of fit this. But it's like, you know, the Oni's supposed to be living in this guy for a while, ditching him. It's supposed to be killing everybody else. I'm getting worked up about this. Yeah, no, you're right. He should be, the the thing being sacrificed should be kind of like chained to it or like separate from the kind of central Oni figure here. That's yeah. a good point. Are you willing to still still uh, play this card? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll still let it in, you know, with with regret, with a strong uh, a strong reprimand for confusing yes. art storytelling, and a strongly worded letter that I'm sure I'll be writing any time now. Where do you rate this card? I have it as like a singleton meh. It seems like I, I'm I'm not convinced it's actually good, even though I like it. I think it is actually good. I think it's playable. Playable, wow! But don't you feel like the two or three for one thing is like a super real downside? I, I mean, it is, but I don't know. You know that the fact that you're getting the plus three, plus three, and trample. I think trample is a very big deal here. You know, I, th- I think a lot of times this is just going to end the game. And if you if you have enough Zuberas or whatever else out there to you know get through a few turns keeping Oni possession out, then I think you're just going to win. I see you have a 2x here and I have a 1x. I actually have an interesting proposal for you, which is what about treating this initially as a build around where we include like two so that the drafter's challenge is like, can you build the Oni possession deck? What do you think about that? Hmm, It's kind of interesting. So putting it out there is a way of encouraging you to like build the deck that can support this, can make it happen. I kind of like that. Yeah, it's almost like a challenge for us. Like, can we engineer an Oni possession deck in? Or, you know, I might be overthinking this and we just throw one of them in and it's fine. But I kind of want to see like what it looks like to have two or somehow I'm now thinking three. That's probably crazy. But <laughs> there's something, uh, something I'm chewing I on. Think, uh, yeah, I think three is a little too much possession. But I, I kind of like the idea uh, of okay, two. Maybe the Oni have gotten two to me. Two build arounds. Yeah, maybe, maybe we need to have a talk after this. I'm feeling the need to sacrifice a creature too. So. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. Okay, let's call it a let's call it a two x build around. Yeah, there was a great little combo I noticed on EDH Rec. I just had to share, which is uh, this card's highest synergy rating. Which uh, for anyone who's not familiar, EDH Rec, every card has a synergy rating, meaning they look at all the cards this could be played with and they say, where does this appear unusually frequently, or where is this where is it unusually common for this to be paired with another card? So as an example, this might appear in a lot of other decks with Doomblade, but that's true for every black card you know that's doomblade is just a staple that shows up in lots of decks but this card's high synergy card is harmless offering uh so harmless offering is donate it gives your opponent a permanent you control and i do think this is hilarious so basically what happens is you donate it to your opponent um you get to keep the plus three plus three and trample on your creature because it's enchanting your creature still and then they get the abyss like for the rest of the game unless they could your creature they're just sacking a creature every turn and meanwhile you're benefiting and that is that is really cute i really like oh, that wow that's fun that's some high level. Yeah, play. I wish we could do that in here, but it seems really fun. Yeah. All right, two X build yeah. around. All right, so I need to apologize for all the confusion that I'm sowing here because we did not talk about Pain Racker Oni last episode, and the reason for that is that we're talking about Pain Racker Oni now, uh, and it starts with a P. Pain Racker mm-hmm. Oni is a three BB five four demon spirit with fear, 
And he says, at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a creature if you don't control an ogre. So this is obviously a very strong card, has some real game-ending power with that fear in there. But I think he's actually kind of less good than uh, his gut-wrenching cousin because his drawback is so much worse. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think his drawback is is substantially worse than the gut-wrencher Oni's. So gut-wrencher Oni, again, requires you to discard a card at the beginning of your upkeep. So discarding a card is just generally less bad than sacking creature, right? You've had to put money or mana into uh, into casting the creature. So you're uh, you're at a greater, you're both a tempo and a card disadvantage at that point. And the other thing is once you're hellbent, the gut-wrencher Oni doesn't say, or does he? Does he require you? Does he die when you run out of cards? No. no. So yeah, weirdly, the gut wrencher Oni is kind of just fine once you're a hellbent. So he sticks around and he's still awesome. Whereas Pain Racker will eventually destroy himself. And that is a much more substantial downside. Yeah. I th- I think that's the you know, really the the tipping point there is that you can just run out of cards to discard and it's fine. And you're probably not that sad about it because you have a five four trampler out. But Pain Racker will kill himself. Yeah, and you don't even have to be hellbent forever with the uh, the gut wrencher because you know upkeep comes before draw, so you can discard the non-existent card in your hand and then draw and then cast the thing. So it's it's like it's a much more manageable downside. It's yeah, a good point. From a design perspective, too, I also like the uh, gut wrencher more. Trample is still very strong, but not as uninteractive as fear. And I'm a little bit scared of fear on a two mana two one, but I'm quite scared of fear on a five power creature. Like that is maximum a four turn clock. That is just a uh, on something that's essentially unblockable, that's pretty annoying. Yeah. I still think we include this, though, right? I, I just, yeah. I this this pair is so iconic. Yeah, I think he's he's an auto include for me. Yeah, look at this flavor text. It says, "Blood flows, blood calls, blood devours all, and only blood remains." Ogre chant. They are seriously into blood. Yeah, I feel like, you know, we we learned in flavor text on some other cards that the ogres haven't always worshipped the Oni. It's something that's come to them sort of recently as a corruption. And I just, I got to question their judgment. Like when you saw the Oni introduce this chant of blood flows, blood calls, blood devours all and only blood <laughs> remains. Like that seems like a pretty clear signal you should find a different object of worship. Like that's that's not a cult you want to be in. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's not going to end well. Yeah, I don't, I don't get what the ogres are thinking. Just poor, poor judgment. All right, but I still think this is an auto-include, right? One X? Definitely. All right, let's go to Pull Under. This is your classic expensive removal spell. Pull Under, five and a black for an instant arcane. Target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. So really straightforward. Uh, I think this card is quite good. Uh, the, ra- the raid here is obviously terrible, but I think this card plays better than it looks. The format is super slow. Costing only a single designated black is big game. You know, because this is a six drop, you can totally throw this into, I think, a deck that otherwise doesn't play any black cards and it'll be fine and castable much of the time. And this is pretty close to unconditional removal. We're going to talk about this sort of iconic removal duo of Rend Spirit and Rend Flesh soon. Um, But those are conditional, whereas this kills, by my math, 325 out of 336 creatures in the block, which is to say... 97% 97% of creatures in the block die to this thing. Uh, I think this card's pretty real. I was kind of stumped by this, honestly. It, it is one of Black's only unconditional removal options, as you said, but it costs six. It can hit all the biggest creatures, pretty much, including the dragons and the myogen, because it gets around indestructibility, but it costs six. It's an arcane instant, but it costs six. Yeah, but I, don't you feel like 
a lot of the time you're not happy about that, but you're going to eventually get to six in most games and you're going to be happy that you had this card. Yeah, that's very true. Now, admittedly, against, say, the white deck, like the weenie decks, I don't think this is quite good enough. You will often be kind of close to dead and, like, killing one of their things. Like, so this against, like, a two-mana threat is terrible, right? That's like, oh, wow, I really lost so much tempo there, you know, and it's already hit me three times. But I think, you know, if you're both mid-range or if you're both slower decks, I think this card's pretty good. I don't think it's quite to auto-include, but I do think it's a solid playable. Yeah, I think you're probably right. There is one factor that cuts against its playability, Connor, which is that the art here is just beyond disgusting. Yeah, it is truly nasty. How do I even describe it? It's like a, it's an Arachi. It's a snake person being sort of pulled apart by like a bunch of like body horror, purple worm spine creatures. Like it's just super, super gross. Well, he's being pulled under. Under and apart. It was an interesting um, artistic decision to have the the thing being pulled under be an Orochi, like a snake person that already has four arms. Because there's so many limbs going on in this picture already. And then you add more by having, you know, this guy have four arms. Yeah, you just can't tell what's going on. It's just confusing. Yeah. And it, it feels like, th- so this is Ron Spencer art. And, you know, he has really kind of like poppy high contrast, like heavy color, heavy shadow sort of art style. So you've got that going on. And then it feels like uh, he just sort of let loose with kind of every sort of monstrous body part he could fit into (laughs) here. We've got tentacles, we've got claws. There's maybe some eyeballs somewhere in here. And they're just all like, just, they want, they want this snake man gone. Yeah. And he did, uh, there's another, his other black card in the set, Soulless Revival, is like very similar. It's all purple and tentacly and super disgusting. I just I I don't know why this has to look like this. It's just so gross. Yeah. That does kind of uh weigh against it. Yeah, I mean, I just honestly don't want it in the deck. Uh that that said, I think this is to me a, a playable, and I, I feel like two of them is the right number. What about you? Mm, yeah, I think you're right on two. I feel more like meh because there are going to be so many times when you know maybe you end up using this on a two drop and you feel pretty sad about it but it's still removal at the end of the day yeah this will get pointed at a lot of katsune blade masters that's for sure oh boy okay well yeah now that you said him again i'm gonna bump this up to play (laughs) (laughs) well but it's not very good against the blade master though right because there's they played they paid three and you paid six and they probably domed you with them three times I mean, in my mind, anything that gets rid of Blade Master is good against Blade Master. But that card is so real. Like I, I, I know we keep returning to him, but it just—he just comes in on three every time when your opponent's in white, and you're always like, "Nah, no, what do it I do?" It just hurts so much. You, you, you hate to see it, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's so, and it's yeah, it's worth pro- pointing premium removal at, which is quite a compliment for just a basically gray ogre with upside. Okay, yeah, I'm willing to call it playable two X. Right. This next guy I don't think is going to quite get there. This is Rag Dealer. B for a 1-1 human rogue. You can pay 2B and tap him to remove up to three target cards in a single graveyard from the game. When would you want to have this guy? Like, what is the deck or the situation where you want a Rag Dealer? It's a fully art-based deck. Uh, And you say, this art is banging good. It's some kind of cool fairy tale guy. And you don't care about playability. 
that's that's his niche. That's his only niche. No, I I hate this card. I I calculated what percentage through the block we are, and we are as of rag dealer twenty two point two two percent through the block. And I'm honestly already done talking about one ones. Like <laughs> there are too many one ones in this block, and this is one like I don't I don't want to give this guy any screen time. This card this card sucks. Even the art, you know, like as as kind of cool and spooky as the art is generally, it doesn't really match the name of the card. Like he's called Rag Dealer, but this guy who's sort of, you know, holding a lantern and, and walking through the swamps of Takenuma, he's got a lantern in one hand. And then in the other hand, he's got this big axe. That's a great point. Where is Rags? I don't see any Rags. Like where are the Rags that he's dealing? You're totally right. This guy should have a big, huge backpack overflowing with Rags or some kind of ill-gotten material. And you're right that the axe is confusing and make like no one power creature can have an axe that big. Yeah. And, and like, what's, what's the effect? Are you trading dead bodies to this guy in exchange for rags? Like how does rag dealing have anything to do I with? Think he's like Robin graves, uh, in search of stuff. And, you know, he's disrupting the graves and that leads to them being exiled. I, I don't know. Uh, Connor. Uh, and then he's getting rags from that. Yeah, the, the flavor text further confuses things because the flavor text says, after General Takeno found the Oath Keeper amidst the bamboo marshes, more scavengers braved the swamps Nazumi, Oni, and Kami in hopes of glory. The history of Kamigawa. Uh, which is a nice little bit of storytelling about the Oath Keeper, but doesn't make a whole lot of sense for this because I don't... This guy doesn't seem like he's in search of glory. This guy's in search of, like, rags. Like, I, <laughs> that doesn't I make guess. a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, the, the elements aren't quite all coming together on this guy do we can we just cut it and move on yeah we've talked about this long enough let's turn to the other card with rag in its name in the set strangely i know um it's not actually rag ragged veins one and a b for an enchantment aura enchant creature flash whenever enchanted creature is dealt damage its controller loses that much life this is a weird card it's kind of hard to evaluate for me i don't think it does that much really you know if you think of putting this on i don't know like two bears that are trading basically that's like two mana your opponent loses two life that's okay are the bears trading rags with each other uh yeah well let's take that scenario so we've got two rag dealers one of whom has ragged veins who wins Mm, that's too much rag (laughs) too much rag Uh, i don't know what do you think of this card i i feel like it's kind of mad i don't think it's terrible but i i don't think it really does a lot either it's kind of like just a card Mm, i'm i'm more excited about it than you are i think it is really easy to overlook but at the same time could because it has flash it could translate into you know basically two mana deal five damage to your opponent or however much like this can turn a chump block of one of your big creatures into a lot of damage to the face. It kind of makes something like Kitsune Blademaster. Oh, look you a lot said less it. Attractive. Hold on. Keep going. Tell me why. So if you, you know, if you put Ragged Veins on Kitsune Blademaster and your opponent is, is using the Blademaster to just sort of, you know, shut you down and block over and over, you, you know, you make, you make him a lot less good. Better. Katsune Blademaster has first strike. He doesn't take damage because he is oh, he God. has godlike power. Oh, I hate him so much. By the way, listeners, we promise we do read the cards. We actually, <laughs> we do read the cards. We have played this game. We know what first strike does. Um, but yeah, if we th- take, I, I think that was just bad luck on your part picking the Blademaster. I get what you mean. Like this, this makes your opponent's threats a little less effective and starts creating awkward decisions for them. Yeah, so there's that. 
I do really love this art also. Oh, it's so good. Talk about it. So it uh, it shows a woman sitting kind of on this uh, fallen log or tree branch or something in the swamps. Uh, she's wearing this very elegant kind of delicate flowing robe. Her you know hair is done in this very elaborate manner. She looks like nobility. Uh, and she's sitting just in the middle of the swamp for some reason. And all of these red tendrils, these veins are, it looks like coming out of the tree and wrapping themselves around her and sort of spiraling out behind her. And there's, Oh, that's interesting. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Like just looking at it, you can't figure out what's going on, but it like, it seems sinister and threatening. (laughs) Okay. Now you can talk. Sorry. You're fascinated because your read is very different than mine. So I've been looking at this card for years and I read this as her veins are being like extracted from her body. Oh, you know, like in that, and that's why she's, that's why she's suffering pain. That's why they're not like really directly connected to the tree in all cases. So that's interesting that we've had mm. two such different interpretations. Yeah, I like yours. It's a lot more sinister and gross. Yeah, I mean, either way, I'm with you. This art is like, uh, what I like about this card versus say, pull under is that it's really creepy and unsettling without resorting to being like just generically gross. It, it's like, it, it's subtle and I, I like that. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, you know, the difference between like a, a good, sinister, like unsettling horror movie and something like Saw, right? Where like the horror here is coming from the lack of explanation, you know, your inability to sort of figure out what's going on. You know that there's some danger, you know that something bad is happening, but you can't figure out what it is. Yeah. Like in the contrast between the sort of tranquility of her mood and the face and kind of the setting, which is also quite tranquil. And then the obviously sinister activity of these red tendrils is really, really effective. Yeah. Um, and I think the fact that you and I both love this card and had or art and had very different interpretations of the art for many years, like further speaks to that. Like it is, it does have a kind of subtle creepiness. That's really cool. Yeah. So we got to have two of these in, right? Yeah, we can start with two. Just I, on art value? Yeah, I, I'm willing to put it at playable two for art equity, although I, I'm kind of I'm skeptical that it'll make it, it'll stay with both those things all the way to the end. Yeah, that's that's reasonable. Okay, next up we've got Rend Flesh. This is 2B for an instant arcane. Destroy target non-spirit creature. Super simple, straightforward removal fits right into all of the themes of Kamigawa. It's an arcane spell. It destroys a non-spirit creature. So it's obviously a a spirit is rending the flesh of a mortal here. Uh, I can't see any situation where we would cut this. Can't imagine a scenario where we cut this or uh, spoiler alert, rend spirit. I think it's pretty obvious both these are getting in. You know, I think they're easy auto include. So I think really the question, you know, outside of talking about flavor and uh, design here. I think the only question is how many of these we put in. So it sounds like we're both landing on auto include here. Yep. The number that I was feeling was two copies. And I noticed you put three. Yeah, I, I vacillated on this a little bit. So I, I went to three because I've been thinking about, we did a, a fair number at this point of triple champions test drafts. And something that jumps out at me as I do that is that removal is scarce in this format except in black, which is just stuffed to the gills with really, really good removal. Like just at common in this set, we've got Befoul, Pull Under, Rend Flesh, and Rend Spirit. So like fully four out of 22 of black's commons are 
pretty premium removal spells. And so like the, the block is has got a lot of pretty solid removal, albeit expensive, but still there's a lot of removal running around. So wouldn't that mean we want fewer copies of this removal? Well, so I, I guess what I what I'm thinking is that we want, you know, having a bunch of all of them feels like a big part of Black's color pie. I could see three hmm. being too many, I, but I, I don't know that it is. Honestly, I feel like in part, you I feel like you need them because the other colors have so little removal. Like Black has to has to do the heavy lifting of like being a way to kill things. Like so, uh, so here's an example: if you're in the Black deck. You can't count on a rend flesh going later than, you know, second, third, fourth pick, right? Because, like, I feel like other decks are just going to pick one up and and splash black just to get a little bit of removal in because there just isn't any in the format. Yeah, I mean, I, I I could see three copies of this. We'll, we'll just have to see, like, how much removal is going to be too much mm-hmm. for black because it does have a lot of options and the other colors have essentially none. And it's already a strong color, even setting the removal aside. But then again, you know, we're not really trying to go for a a cube that's perfectly balanced between all of the colors. I don't think that's really possible or desirable with what red is like in this. Yeah, maybe from a numbers perspective, but from a bal- like a power perspective, yeah, I don't know if there's I don't think it's possible to create an original Kamigawa drop block cube that brings red up to the level of black, for example. Yeah. So maybe before we settle this numbers question, um, I actually want to do a little bit of comparing between this and Ren Spirit. We can, we can do a full review of Ren Spirit in a second. But in terms of power, so Ren Spirit, for anyone who doesn't know, is just this card, but for spirits. So Ren Spirit is 2B, instant, destroy target spirit. Uh, I feel like on power level, Ren Spirit is the slightly better of the two because the spirits tend to be bigger and more late gamey, whereas this, you know, occasionally has to trade down uh, in terms of mana. I think they're both good, but I think Red Spirit is slightly more powerful. Uh, but that's counterbalanced by it having uh, way, way, way worse art uh, and terrible flavor text. Definitely agree on that. And I will say for Ren Flesh, though, unlike our last card, Ragged Veins, Ren Flesh does deal with Kitsune Blade Master. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a big plus. That's pretty essential. I agree. How many of these do you think? Should we go with three, I guess? I kind of like three. I think it's possible we end up just feeling like we're swimming in black removal, but we can always cull it down. Yeah. Okay. Well, one one thing I'll point out about both these is I like that I like that Rend Flesh and Rend Spirit are not Doomblades and they're not terrors, you know, that they don't um exclude mm. black creatures. As we've mentioned a few times with fear and stuff, I'm not really a huge fan of that kind of color-based play patterns. And while these have very significant and real downsides. The reality is most decks, at least in a limited context, are running both mortal and spirit creatures. And so you almost always have something to point it at. So I, I appreciate the way these are designed. Yeah. And I like the the kind of, you know, symmetrical design of both of these and how they, you know, fit really well into the the flavor and the like overarching theme of spirits and mortals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really uh, do a good job selling it uh, for sure. I'll, I'll read the flavor text on this one because uh, in part because I like it, but mostly because I want to be able to dunk on Ren Spirit's flavor text in a minute. Uh, so the flavor text on this is the Reito massacre was a testament to the Kami's unstoppable power. The human defenders might as well have been moths battling a forest fire. Great battles of Kamigawa. Uh, so I mostly want to bring this up to say the Reito massacre was a, a big old massacre where the spirits killed everybody. And the resulting trauma is what led to the birth of Hirobi Death's Whale. So just a little bit of, little bit of trivia there for you. There you go. And we all love Hirobi. Oh yeah, we we love Hirobi, and therefore we love the Reito massacre. It's one of my favorite yeah. massacres. <laughs> we're we're on record. 
Oh dear. With that. Oh boy. All right. Uh, auto include at three. Yeah. Okay. I suspect run spirit is going to be a pretty similar discussion. Uh, just as a quick refresher, two and a B instant destroy target spirit. As I said, I think rend flesh is a little bit better. Uh, but this card's art is terrible, and I don't like that. I the the spirit in this. I mean, I guess it's the spirit. It kind of just looks like a goofy knockoff monster from a like a knockoff aliens movie or something. I just I think this art is really boring and lame. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. Though now that I'm looking kind of more closely at the art, the spirit and mortal in both pieces seem to be the same. Oh, you're right. What that is a great catch. That's very cool. Okay, I like this a little better now. I I had a major complaint about this art, Rend Spirit, because it's a black card. It's showing a mortal, I guess, rending a spirit. But the the human shown in this art is like blasting this Kami with some kind of yellow glowy magic that definitely looks... clearly using white magic. Yes, it should be on a white card. And the flavor text, if I'll, I'll go ahead and read the flavor text on this one. The battle at Ganzan pa- Pass was a testament to human endurance. The untrained and frightened group escaped three legions of Kami, leaving more than their share of slain foes in their wake. Like, that is not black card flavor text. Like, themes of human endurance, hmm. camaraderie. Yeah, yeah. Like, wrong color here. And the art, wrong color. That's a good point. And I, the other thing, I there's like a little thing in that flavor text I think is kind of lame, which is it says, escaped three legions of Kami. And I find that kind of jarring too. Of Like, what does that mean? Like, do the are the Kami organized in legions? Like everything else in the block leads me to think of them as kind of, they're more like monsters, right? But like something in there is like, I don't, there's something I don't quite get. Yeah, how how do you how do you count a legion of Kami? How are they organized? Yeah, oh, maybe it's a legion like quantity now I think about it. I don't know. How much is that? Hey, Siri, how many uh, Kami are in three legions of Kami? All right. Uh, anything else to say about Red Spirit? What did she say? I just barely heard. I, I couldn't hear it. She was she was babbling something about getting directions to somewhere. Oh, boy. Yeah. No, she's she's working on it. She's going to bring you to the Kami. Or she's bringing them to oh, you. Oh, no. I hope she's not bringing me to the Rayto Massacre. Yeah, you better lock the door. Uh, three of these again? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And auto include. All right, for sure. Yeah, I'm a little worried I'm being too uh too blase about throwing this much removal in, but we'll find out. Yeah, we'll see if it's a problem. Okay, next up, definitely not a problem. Scuttling death. 4B for 42 spirit. Uh you can sack it to give target creature minus 1 minus 1 until end of turn. And it has soul shift 4. I feel like this is kind of a tough one to evaluate like it looks really bad on its face five mana four two with you know a really measly sacrifice effect but it's i feel like it's tricky to weigh this in kamigawa because scuttling death is at this kind of four power break point where it can trade with a lot of things that have four toughness mm. and with that minus one minus one it can you know even trade up to something with five mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's got the soul shift, so it's getting some kind of value for you there. Yeah. But it just looks so bad. And it looks, the art just looks so awful and disgusting, too. We've talked about a couple gross ones. You know, we've talked about pull under. We've talked about, I don't know, last episode, a bunch of gross things. But this this might take the cake. It's like some kind of brain oyster mushroom cockroach 
monster. Oh, it's oyster. just super gross. Now that you said oyster, I can't unsee that. Yeah, it's making me like oysters even less. Yeah. And it's got like sort of toes and these. That's like, right. It's, like, it's even got sacks. toes. It's like, what's the grossest part of the human body? Toes are pretty gross. Like, it's just it's just like a potpourri of grossness here. It really is. Yeah, I don't know what Thomas Boxa, what inspired Thomas Boxa to go this hard on nastiness, but I don't yeah, like maybe it. Maybe he was just kind of Googling like nasty things in nature <laughs> and, you know, made like a collage of all those images and came up with this. He made like a mood board of gross things and just kind of exactly. sat there and percolated <laughs> on it. Yeah, he just sort of stared at all of those and he's like, yeah, scuttling death. Before we review this can I just shock you by telling you this got reprinted in Modern Masters 2015? What? I know. It's inexplicable. For what? I, I have no idea. I, I genuinely couldn't tell you. With Soul Shift and everything? What? Yeah. I, I think there was like a minor kind of Kamigawa type theme in there, but still pretty hard to understand. Wow. That's bizarre. Uh, playability on this one's funny. I mean, it looks terrible, not just aesthetically, but play-wise. But I think you're right that this punches a little above its weight. You know, it's a 4-2 that with damage on the stack, basically blocks as a five, blocks or attacks as a five-power creature or trades as a five-power creature. And that's that's not impossibly bad. And Soul Shift 4 is pretty meaningful. I don't think there's too many other Soul Shifters who occupy this part on the current curve the only other one i could think of is that terrible five drop green spider we'll get to later later on i i feel like i don't like this card but i think it's probably fine and we should put one or two in it meh yeah i definitely agree on meh i think just one of these guys is going to be enough yeah you know he can just kind of scuttle in there every now and then and you go "Mm, yeah okay we'll try it yeah that way at least once the pack is you know is gone you know you won't have to look at it again hopefully exactly (laughs) until you play it I, I like your one. Matt one. Let's go to Cezanne, Perverter of Truth. 3BB for a legendary demon spirit. 6-5. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player loses two life and draws two cards. Now that is a five-drop spirit. I love, incidentally, the contrast from Scuttling Death to Saison because one of them is almost impossible to get excited about, whereas I feel like this guy just instantly gets my uh, my brain churning. You know, you read it and you go, wow, that's a big creature. Oh, but it has a drawback. Oh, but is that actually even a drawback or is that just furthering the things that you already want to do when you're beating down with a 6-5, which is to say you want to cement your advantage and you want to like drain your opponent out as quickly as possible? I feel like this guy is really, really good. I agree. I think that his upkeep or like Oni blood sacrifice effect, like it's good for you. You want to be drawing cards, but it can kind of also be good for your opponent. So unlike most of the other Oni, Cezanne triggers at every player's upkeep, mm-hmm. uh, which means that the t- you know the first turn that happens after you play it is going to be your opponent's turn when they're losing two life and drawing two cards, which could potentially help them out quite a bit. And that's something I hadn't really like thought about very much until I played him against you in one of our playtest games. And I was like, wait a second, he's drawing the cards first. Yeah, but in the end, it didn't matter, did it? Because you had a 6-5 no, <laughs> and I was like down on life. And it was just like you had a Sulfuric Vortex out that was also a 6-5. What do you do? Yeah, he super strong, super good. Yeah, and especially because I feel like Black is in a pretty good position to be aggressive. You know, as we've seen, there's a couple solid aggressive two drops. There's some decent aggressive three drops. Like, I feel like 
you know, the black black can really beat down in this set. I, I like that uh, Cezanne also is a little bit like Hirobi. It's overpowered for its cost of five mana, six, five. And it has this ability that could be helpful or could be harmful depending on the circumstances and sort of, you know, depending on what the game state is like. I think usually, you know, you're you're going to take this drawback happily. But I do like that there's sort of this interesting uh, symmetrical effect going on with both of those. Yeah, this kind of goes back to your, um, which was the Nizumi flip card who makes you discard. Nizumi Short Fang, you know, he's got a similar kind of thing of like, he leads to interesting games. Uh, they can be frustrating. You know, you're like, oh man, I'm just getting wrecked by this thing and that's rough. But, you know, I think he's fun. And the fact that you're drawing the cards is kind of interesting too, because unlike Sulfuric Vortex is like, well, I, are there any outs I'm drawing too? You know, there's, it, it creates a lot of right. interesting tense moments for everybody. Yeah. And how about this art? Yeah, it's uh, it's another one by Kev Walker, who brought us the Black Myogen and also He Who Hungers. Cezanne uh, seems to be mostly a, a big Oni skull uh, with this giant mouth, this big kind of death mask grin that stretches all around the sides of the head. Uh, it's got this big set of horns on top. I think just barely you can see that third Oni eye right above these giant nostrils in the middle of the skull. And then sort of limbs coming out from beside this oversized skull and then these, I guess, teeny little legs in the back. Um, And it just looks like this really creepy, horrifying... It doesn't really look particularly like a a demon or an Oni at first glance, but, you know, it has these, these cool details and these creepy little elements in there. Yeah. I've been really impressed by how Kev uh, kept his pretty photorealistic style in this set and yet managed to turn out some really cool, fantastical creatures. I feel like Kev Walker was really uh, turning in some great work. Where do you, where do you have this? I have this as an auto include. I think mostly just because I really like it. It's one of my favorite cards from the set. So I have it, I have him as an auto include one X. Yeah. I had him as playable, but I think you're right that he's auto include. Okay. I think I rated it as playable before I actually, played it before you wrecked me with it <laughs> before i wrecked you with saison so yeah i'll go up to auto include and i think this actually is also an example of where it's maybe not bad to have a bunch of removal running around in this format because there's a bunch of lame two and three drop creatures here that are like oh it's a bear but then there's a lot of you know random like five drop bombs like this guy or maloku that really must be answered quickly or the game's just over yeah that's it's kind of an interesting way of putting it kind of crap at the bottom and then bombs like this guy and not a lot of creatures in the middle. You know, there are not a lot of sort of mid value, mid range types of creatures. I guess maybe Kitsune Blademaster would fit in there. You kind of jump from the scuttling deaths to the like Saisons and dragons with not a huge amount of mid tier creatures in between. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see like how many of these bombs actually turn up when people are drafting the cube and how reliably you can kind of get one into your deck. Uh, Cause I could see, you know, situations coming up where you're, you're looking for that bomb to kind of tie everything together and give you something to end the game. And you just kind of end up with a deck of scuttling deaths while your opponent picks up three spirit dragons. Yeah, that's interesting. It makes me think like we're, we, I almost feel like it's going to push us in one of two directions. You either push it towards, there being a lot of the chaff so that no player's picking up more than one or two of these bombs. And it's mostly like chaff, but with the, you know, a couple of bombs in your deck, or you cut a lot of the chaff and you lean into the bomby 
creatures. My guess is it's more like hmm. the first, because I think that the problem is there's not bomby three drops, really. It's like in fives. I, I feel like it would be a weird environment if you lean too hard into the bomby creatures. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, usual EDH rec report. Uh, Saison commands 348 decks, which is not a lot. I'm not really surprised that it's low because at the end of the day, he's like a five mana six five that does kind of a symmetrical thing. But it, there is a, I feel like that's a little bit of a pity because it's a pretty fun effect in EDH. It's kind of a political, you know, interesting, you know, dynamic to give your opponents cards and life and see how everyone interprets that. Do they interpret that as a hostile thing or a friendly thing? It's, he's getting a lot of love in our cube, if not in Commander. There you go. Let's talk about Soulless Revival. We teased this a little bit earlier, but here it is. Soulless Revival, 1B for an instant arcane. Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand, and you can splice it onto arcane for 1B. So this is the the gross successor to Pull Under. Pull Under, of course, showed the, the snake person being, you know, dra- dragged down by these horrible appendages. And Soulless Revival is the sequel where someone else is being dragged up by a bunch of horrible appendages. Don't know why Ron Spencer felt like he had to do this to us. They are so, I mean, even the, even the guy being pulled up is kind of gross. Why's he gotta be so gross? I get the tentacle. I mean, I know he's dead, I guess, but yeah, he's, he's all bulgy and liney and contrasty. He's just really gross. Yeah. When Ron Spencer wants to, he can really, uh, make a nasty piece of art. He's turned up the disgust dial here. Yeah, I will say, though, that I think this card is pretty much right at home in the black Soul Shift deck. Really good one to splice, I think, and kind of a rare rare splice card in that it doesn't cost more to splice than it does to just play it. It's two mana either way, and I think you could get quite a bit of value out of this if you're reviving your Saison. You know, I was more torn on it because I feel like the problem is that the black Soul Shift deck already has a lot of creatures with soul shift. And so I don't know how much, like, do you need soulless revival in that case? Or or do you already have plenty of ways to buy back creatures from your graveyard? I mean, you, you might, but there's a lot of ones that are going to be really tough to get back with soul shift, like Saison, like the Myogen that you're not going to be playing. Pain Racker Oni, you know, five mana, these more expensive, like bomb cards are going to be, I think really hard to get back with soul shift because there's just not that many cards that, have that high of a soul shift okay i'm mostly persuaded by that i still think this is like i i suspect it's not going to play as well as it looks but i i think it it, at least it's fun or interesting like i feel like black is just killing it almost every one of these cards is fun or interesting or yeah just i enjoy i enjoy thinking about them except for the art (laughs) we can think about them it doesn't mean we have to look at them Uh, how many of these would you include then if you're pretty high on it uh i i lean toward having two of them at playable. It's funny. I also had it at playable and two. I feel like you have it as a high playable and two, and I have it as low playable and two, but we still landed in the same place somehow. Yeah, we both both ended up on playable two. All right. That that sounds easy. I've also been, uh, while we've been talking, just scrolling through Ron Spencer's uh, art on Scryfall, and I'm realizing he just specializes in gross. Like, many of the grossest cards are Ron Spencer cards, like Cabal Therapy, the original art, Ugh. which might be one of the grossest arts in the game. Bone Shredder, um, Bog Rats. Like, I think this is this is kind of what he does, is endless cockroaches, <laughs> which is absolutely as gross as it I sounds. I mean, you don't I've even, you don't even need to look at that. 
to know how <laughs> gross it's going to be. Yeah. So I, I guess Wizards turns to a uh, flow of maggots. <laughs> like he has a type. God, flow of maggots. All right. Flow of maggots. <sighs> I know. I'm sorry, readers or listeners. Um, yeah. Don't look it yeah, up. Usually That's we would tell say. you to go look at the art, but in this case, don't. we'll say just don't. I don't know why you would. All right. You know what? I'm going to ask you for a live reaction card. I'm going to send you flow of maggots and endless cockroaches. And I want you to tell me which one, in your opinion, is more disgusting. Ugh. Okay. There's flow of maggots. Look at that fly on there. I know. It's like the maggots aren't enough. Ugh. We got to get a fly on there as well. I Okay. And then endless cockroaches. Ugh. So many legs. I know. <laughs> um, wow. Let's both say as close to simultaneously. So my choice is flow of maggots. maggots. Okay, me too. <laughs> it's so That's, gross. Yeah, they're just wriggling around in there. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a gross story. Cut this out if you have to. Oh, no. Oh. But a, a few years ago, I lived in Beaverton, Beaverton, Oregon. And we had, you know, municipal compost bins there. So you you put all your yard debris in the bin. You can put your kitchen scraps in the yard debris bin. You can put it all in there and it'll get taken away and composted. Um, and I decided that uh, we were going to try doing a little bit of home compost, but I didn't bother uh, looking into like any of the many rules you're supposed to follow in making your own compost at home. So what I did was put everything into that bin that could possibly decompose uh, at some point in my lifetime, uh, which included meat, quite a bit of oh quite boy. a bit of meat, quite a bit oh of table boy. scraps, cooked and uncooked oil, all kinds of stuff, all going in this big oh green dear. municipal bin of compost. And you know, you're supposed to compost is supposed to be pretty warm, right? Like you want it to get up yep. to a good temp, get it to cook. So I yep. put it in the backyard under the sun and just kind of forgot about it for a while. Mm. And I went out there probably after a week or two of having not checked on it and opened it up to see how things were going. And I, I could only describe what was in there as a flow of maggots. There were so many of them and I had never seen, I mean, I'd seen maybe like <laughs> one or two maggots at a time before then. And this was just like, this bin was loaded with them. And of course, I open it up, all these flies are coming out because some of the maggots grow up, you know, as you'll see in Flow of Maggots the card. So they're just writhing in there. And I had to spend probably the next six to seven hours cleaning that up. Oh, wow. Um, Not a good day. Listeners, if I haven't cut this out, my apologies. Uh, I think really you should blame Ron Spencer rather than Connor. Yes, please. Because this is just what his, this is the intense reaction his art provokes. Oh God, why did you send mine maggots? I know I was scrolling through his art to try to distract from your story and it got even worse. It's like every piece gets grosser. Okay. That's, that is the worst. He just digs maggots. He has like three pieces that involve far too many disgusting insects or predecessors to insects. I got to stop looking at that. Okay. All right. Uh, are we still going to put two of these in after uh, the trauma we've uh, suffered and inflicted on our listeners? Uh, yeah, I think we better. <laughs> okay, this next card seems really appropriate. Title one. <laughs> That's right. In. Let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about struggle for sanity. Struggle for sanity is two BB for a sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. That player sets aside a card from it. Then you set aside a card from it. 
Repeat this process until all cards in that hand have been set aside. That player returns the cards they set aside to their hand and puts the rest into their graveyard. So uh, I think we've talked a couple times about my love for Factor Fiction and Gaunty and these kind of like little mini game kind of effects. And so I think you would think I would love this, but I don't like this card at all. The first reason is that I don't like my opponents to have this level of agency. I want to be the ones making the decisions. But that's not just because I'm I'm a jerk. I think genuinely in the case of this card, it is a serious problem for its playability. Like your opponent really gets to make the important calls here. And I think at the end of the day, you take maybe one important card out of their hand. It's just, I don't think this card is very good. Totally agree. I feel exactly the opposite uh, as you do about factor fiction type cards. So I'm already going into this one, not liking it, but I completely agree with you that the the fact that this lets your opponent choose first what they're going to keep and what's going to be discarded, I think makes it really, really bad. Like, let's say your opponent somehow has five cards in hand, which let's be honest, when you're casting a four mana spell is by no means guaranteed. So they'll set aside a card, then you will, then they will, then you will, then they will. So they'll discard only two cards total. So basically they'll discard their second best and second worst cards. Like that is not really that meaningful an outcome like that's basically a mind rot like you it's like very slightly better than mind rot i just i don't think this card is good yeah especially when you think about like distress that we talked about last episode just two mana to be able to choose what you're going to force your opponent to discard half the cost of this and it lets you choose first and it comes down on two potentially when there's you know like many more meaningful decisions yeah yeah i i think this is just an insta-cut yeah, I agree. I think it's pretty easy to cut for me. And we can move on to another gross card, Swallowing Plague. XBB for a Sorcery Arcane. Swallowing Plague deals X damage to target creature, and you gain X life. I'm really getting tired of all the bugs in this set and all of our bug discussion, even though I've been bringing most of it. We've got this, we've got Pull Under, we've got Soulless Revival. The mortals are bringing us Befal, Distress, like there are a lot of bugs and tentacles and writhing things yes, in entirely too that, many. I think that's the the biggest drawback. Maybe the only drawback of black in this set compared to the other colors yeah. is just the art is so grody. I am grateful they didn't give Ron Spencer this art because while Dave Dor- Derman's art here is a little bit gross, I think if you'd given the, the term the name "swallowing plague" to Ron Spencer, I I shudder to think what he would have I, I don't want to think about that. Well, if you <laughs> if you look at just the like the volume of bugs in this piece of art, there's not that many of them. You know, they're kind of like scaraby yeah. looking beetle type things. Not that gross. Yeah, exactly. Scarabs aren't that no. bad. They're kind of like scarab scorpion uh, horse crab shrew crabs, which, yeah. you know, I don't like that. But that's fine. I feel like if Ron had had these, they would have been purple and bulging. Yes. And, and there would have been about a hundred times as many of them. Oh man, this is a really gross episode. I, I feel like I need to keep apologizing. Right, oh, we need we need to like put a warning in the show notes or something. The card itself, I think, is okay. Huh. Okay. You know, it's not super exciting. It sucks that it's a sorcery, but you know, it's a way to get rid of a big threat in the late game when you have enough mana to do that, and it you know gives you a big life swing at the same time. It's arcane too, so I feel like it's. Fine. Fine-ish. The double B here is a little bit rough because it's not splashable in the way. Like I was I was coming to the defense of pull under earlier. This is not pull under because of the double black. I think that's very meaningful downside. 
you know, you compare it to something like Battle at the Bridge, which admittedly is a much more modern card, but still, or Black Sun Zenith, like this is this is pretty pricey for what it does at sorcery speed with double black and only hitting creatures. Like, I don't think this card is that good. The one thing I think that does make me consider it is I like the life gain. There's not a ton of life gain in this set, really. And there is a lot of grindy gameplay. And so I do think killing a thing and gaining some decent amount of life back is something, I guess. I I think that's a big part of what makes Devouring Greed pretty good is that it, you know, creates a big life swing in part by giving you a bunch of life. And this is accomplishing half of that anyway. I'm fine, including one of it. I guess, you know, it's certainly more interest, not certainly more interesting. It's marginally more interesting than pull under. So I guess I'm fine, including it. And if we had to start cutting some expensive black removal, I I could see half-heartedly fighting for this over pull under. Okay. All right. Uh, Yeah. We're both, we're both sounding very mad about this, which is the rating we both gave it. And I think one is probably right. Yeah, I think so. I think this is, you know, kind of a poster child for meh. All right. Meh it up. Let's talk about Thief of Hope. Two and a B for a 2-2 spirit. Whenever you cast a spirit or arcane spell, target opponent loses one life and you gain one life. And it's got soul shift too. This thing is so solid. It's a gray ogre that has a really nice relevant spirit craft trigger. That soul shifts like this is everything I want in a three drop in black. This thing's super cool. Yeah, great name, great card. Another piece of deceptive art where this thing looks way, way, way bigger than a two two. At least to me, maybe I'm looking at it wrong. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, he he appears to be soaring over mountains. Yeah, yeah. Like this, this looks like it would cover you know a whole continent. Uh, but it's a two two. It also looks like it's flying in the art and does not have flying. Oh wow. Yeah, and honestly, I think of this card as having flying. Like when I'm not yeah, looking right? at it, or when I'm not looking at the text, I think, yeah, he flies because duh. Yeah, and look at it; he's way up in the air. He's like a thousand feet in the air. But yeah, I agree that the card is pretty great. There are not very many three mana spirits at all in this set, and this one I think is a really solid card to have at that slot. Uh, it's got that good spirit craft ability. Comes with soul shift. Like, what more could you want from? A three drop. Yeah, I, I think you can't ask much more. At least you aren't given much more. I think we discovered last time when we were looking at uh, Kami of False Hope that this is the best black three drop spirit in the block. Uh, yeah. Let me go validate that. But I think this is like by far the most solid one. I think so. And he, you know, he can block a little bit. He can trade a little bit. Just a solid card. Yeah. I think the art just keeps me from getting excited about it more. Yeah, uh, I don't mind the art, honestly. I don't I don't like the flying this thing, but I actually kind of, I like the way it looks. I think it's, creepy you know when you zoom in he kind of looks very aged it's he's like an aged snake yellow multi-arm monster guy i don't know i think it's effective and creepy i don't know that i'd want to like giant print of it on my wall but i think it's well executed maybe maybe we should do that once we finish you know finish the whole block get all the episodes out there maybe we should celebrate by having a huge (laughs) print of thief of hope made pull how about pull under i I think my wife would love a giant print of pull under in the dining room we, we yeah. Each of us can have one of those. Something to really whet your appetite. Yeah, there's only two uh, three-drop black spirits in the block. Kami the Waning Moon and this guy. And this guy definitely is better. Yeah. And hey, Soul Shift 2, that's a great way to get some Zuberas back. Keep the value train going. Mm-hmm. All right, how many of these do you have? I have this as a playable, which might be too low, actually, because I think it is just a, 
such an important curve filler, and I have it at a three quantity of three. Yeah, I landed on three too. I called it an auto include just because there's so little happening at three, at least when it comes to spirits. Like I think he just kind of needs to be in. I, honestly, I feel like I'm being. I might have been kind of sandbagging or feeling like I'm too generous to this just because it it also drains. And as someone who played many in Orzov decks over the years. I'm very sympathetic to any card that causes your opponent to lose one life and causes you to gain one life. That's one of my favorite things to do in the world. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that. All right, let's auto-include it at three. Next up, we've got Villainous Ogre, our first ogre in a little while. Villainous Ogre is 2B for a 3-2 ogre warrior. Can't block. And as long as you control a demon, he has uh, pay B to regenerate him. This is fine. I don't like him that much. I don't really hate him. He doesn't excite me very much, but he is a three-mana creature with three power and you know at least some potential upside if you've got a demon. And he's an ogre, so he's helping out your Oni. Yeah, the upside here is pretty solid. Uh, regenerate is, a, is always powerful. Although on a creature that can't block, it does go down a lot because it's like if, if you're at the point when you're not the one who's racing and attacking and getting in, guy basically is a blank piece of cardboard i don't know i I feel like i mostly want this in because i i want some ogres to make pain racker and gut wrencher oni work but honestly the ogres are all pretty bad so i'm worried i'm just getting too fixated on that kind of magical christmas land scenario (laughs) rather than recognizing like eh, yeah maybe gut wrencher and pain racker can stand on their own and if they can't we still shouldn't be putting in bad ogres just to make them work yeah i mean i i think it uh it says something that when we were talking at least about yeah, about Gut Wrencher, Pain Racker. I think there's a few other Oni that'll be coming up that have like a ogre-based downside. You know, when we were talking about those cards, we didn't really say, oh, this would be so much better if you had an ogre out or if you could get that ogre. Like, they're just good, even with right. the drawback. And like, the ogre is just gravy. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm kind of increasingly down on this guy. There even are a few other ogres that are better. Like I think our Bloodthirsty and Bloodspeaker from earlier are probably better. I think Ogre Marauder coming up later is better in black. I think uh, Takanuma Bleeder coming up in the next set is better in black. So, I mean, there's even some decent black ogres that I think I'd rather have than uh, than this guy. Yeah. We got some red ogres too. That's right. We got, I, you know, honestly, I didn't even read them as I was scrolling here because I just assumed, assumed they weren't good. Yeah. But hopefully I'm wrong about at least one or two of them. Uh, maybe. I mean, I know one we're definitely counting out, but we, we won't spoil yeah, that. We'll, we won't spoil that great discussion. We'll get there when we get there. Yeah, I don't know. Do you want... Uh, so I had this at a mat 1x just because I thought, eh, fine, we'll put one in. I don't know that I feel any real conviction about that. So I had him as a mat 2x because I feel Whoa. like... Hear me out here. I feel like if he's a 1x, then he shows up a little bit like Scuttling Death, and you're just kind of, but but probably worse than Scuttling Death. And you're just kind of thinking, like, what what's this doing here? Like, why would I want this card ever? But if you have two of them, then it's a little bit more mm-hmm. like, here's, you know, here's your ogres for the Oni synergy. Mm-hmm. Here's your villainous team. Yeah. So if you already have some Oni, you or if really you're hoping want for it. Two, three drops that can't block. I mean, I, I, I feel like at that point, it's like can't block tribal between this and the Nizumi Cutthroat. <laughs> that's part of Black's color identity. Is there a card later that's like creatures you control that can't block can block? I would love to see that text. <laughs> I'm sure we, like, <laughs> we wouldn't be able to read that one correctly to save our lives. 
No, we would never, we'd never have a hope of uh, reading it or understanding no. it. I, they, they should print one of those kind of like, you know, Dora on the siege tower or something just, but much lamer, like a really lame. Yes. I guess it's an, it is an inverse kind of Dora on the siege tower, right? <laughs> Instead of letting your walls attack, this guy lets the not blockers block. Yeah, that's power. Hold on. I gotta, I gotta go start working on yeah. this for the um, custom card subreddit. People are going to love it. Uh, we can put two in if you want, Connor. I feel like we've talked about a lot of better three drops uh, this episode alone, but we, we can stick it in. Yeah. Yeah, let's put let's put a couple in and see how we feel. All right, sure. Uh, we're getting close to the end of this episode, which hopefully hasn't felt like a waking nightmare. Waking nightmare is two and a B for a sorcery arcane target player discards two cards. I don't really like this. Uh, this is mind rot, right? It's a card that's appeared in a bajillion sets in some form or another in limited. It's always just on the edge of being sort of okay. And I suspect it is in this set and I don't like it. I don't like mine rots. I think they're boring and I don't want to include it. So I have it as an insta cut. What do you think? I mean, I just, I think we have enough discard already and like more, more interesting and more fun discard than this. Yep. Why bother? Here, here. Let's cut it. All right. <laughs> That's a deep analysis right there. You want to take us up with our last card in uh, black for champions? Yes, I do. Let's end on a high note with Wicked Akuba. BB for a 2-2 spirit uh, with B, target player dealt damage by Wicked Akuba this turn, loses one life. So on its face, this is just a kind of a bad bear, but this ability and specifically this ability in a mono black deck is pretty exciting to me. Like if you can get in with Wicked Akuba and you have some mana open, he can just beat your opponent down mercilessly. And I'd kind of like to see four of these. Oh, wow. I really okay. want to, I mean, we, I think the only other card we've gone four X on so far was candles glow. And I feel like <laughs> this is your candles, this is glow. my candles glow. And this is kind of, you know, it's the flip side of candles glow. Candles glow is gaining you life. Mm -hmm. Wicked Akuba is draining life. Well, not draining. Careful, because I somehow I I'm sure I'll misread Causing this at some point. Loss. Just thinking you gain life. Yeah, I like this card a lot. It's uh, it's cool. It's interesting. I really like how aggressive black is in this set. I feel like black doesn't always fill that role. That's more commonly white or red or something. Uh, and I like it on the uh, Akuba here, and it's unique too. It's uh, it looks sort of unassuming. Like, oh yeah, he's like a bear for double black. Which incidentally, at this stage in um, black's history, just getting a two-two for two with no downsides is like. That's not too bad, just on its yeah. own. And then you throw on this ability that, I mean, that's super relevant. Even if you just do it on three, that's like, this thing's swinging in for five damage on turn three. That's that's pretty nuts. Yeah, and I, it's it's nice how scalable it is, too. You know, if you, if you get this in the early game, he's definitely having an impact. Uh, if you get it in the later game and your opponent's not able to block it for whatever reason, you're getting a ton of life loss in there. And it also feels like pretty fair to me because there's no fear here. There's no evasion, at least by default. This can be blocked. It can be dealt with like any other creature. So it's not totally running away with the game. And the fact that you need to commit so heavily into black mana to make this be super powerful is, you know, kind of a drawback. It, it leans into that kind of classic black color pie identity, right? Of like black wants you to play lots of black mm -hmm. cards. And I, I like that this pushes you in this that direction, as you were saying. Yeah. Now, do you think that four Akubas is too many Akubas? I don't think so. I suspect we're going a little high on a lot of cards and 
you know, before we really get down to serious playtesting, we're going to have to go back through and go like, do we really want three, oh, I don't know, villainous ogres in? But I'm fine starting this on four. I think, as you said, like if there's a card that deserves it as a fair yet powerful and interesting card that helps define an archetype, I think Wicked Akuba uh, gets there. Yeah, I think so too. And I also, I really like the art here. Uh, it's another Itoku piece and it's uh, creepy, but not disgusting, which is a nice change of pace. And it's got just some nice color and uh, I don't know. It's just really good. I really like it. It's well realized. Yeah, it looks wicked for sure. Yeah, like a little mischievous, but not just mischievous. He's also going to kill you. Here's the flavor text uh, really adds to that. The sound of children weeping is a song that fills its heart with joy. Man, he's so wicked. He is so wicked. Kind of a weird suggestion there that Kami, I guess, have hearts that can be filled with joy. Hmm. So, Hmm. yeah, something to think about. Hearts and legions. They they look more like us than we know. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Let's let's stick for a minute. If that proves uh, to be just you know disturbingly powerful, we can always uh, cut it down later. All right. I like it. Well, I just glanced outside my window, and I can see the night's reach is starting to close in. Mm-hmm. I-, I hope that rather than this turning into a, a night of souls betrayal uh, that this has proved to be a, a, a night dealings of oh magic insight <laughs> if you have feedback thoughts or memories to share about any of the cards and topics today or if you just want to tell us to uh, make these outro puns a little less painful you can always email us at clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com we particularly love if you can share memories of cards you've played with or cards you know so just take a look at the red card spoiler for this set and uh, see if there's anything that sparks something. We'd love to share. You can also follow along with the cube on Cube Cobra. Just go to clockspinning.com and you'll find a link. But next week, join us as we review the first 25 red cards of Kamigawa. And until then, I'm Austin. I'm Connor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>